Wednesday evening, July 27th, and we are in the book of James, the letter that James wrote, and who is James? There's people, different scholars going back many, many years have uh, had their opinions on which James this is. It would be very difficult to be the Apostle James because he uh, died pretty early. And that was that story where Peter miraculously was released from prison. And there were people praying for him, and he showed up at the house where they were praying, and they thought it was a ghost. They thought he'd done died. They, they, you don't have to have a whole lot of... You don't have to have perfect confidence in your prayers. They're going to work anyway. Okay? Now, we are to pray for wisdom without wavering. But they, my point is, they were shocked that Peter showed up because it was an impossible situation. But that goes to show that your prayers, they work. All right? So it wasn't that, James. And there's a, it's a, another James that they talk about, but this is going to be James that is Jesus' half-brother, a son of Mary. Now, the reason that there's such an issue with which James is basically um, the Catholic Church really wants Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be a perpetual virgin. And so, so they have a tough time admitting that they'll even say that if there was any half-brothers, it was from jo a, a previous or another wife that Joseph had. You know, they've, they, they've even said that, trying to get around it. But we don't go there. There's, there's a couple verses... There's one verse that says, well, the one verse says that Joseph knew her not until after she had bare Jesus. And then there was another one that said that, talking about uh, Jesus was her firstborn son, which means there was others to follow, because they did have a word that would say only son in the in the if you go to the original language. So, we've talked a whole lot about grace and not law. We've talked a whole lot about it's by faith, not by works. So, as much as I've preached on that over the past several months, I think the, the Holy Spirit has been moving me to go to something like this. Because what will happen is if you preach only privilege, only what you get, you tend to not look at the precepts that are in the Bible, all of the things it tells us to do, and we end up being just hearers of the word and not doers of the word. And James is, I think that's why it's in our Bible. God knew that we needed this to help us be balanced 
in our Christian walk. <clears throat> I went to Scripture Truth yesterday. It was raining. What else was I going to do? <laughs> Scripture Truth down in Fincastle. This book came from there. This uh, Thompson Chain Reference Bible came from there. And this uh, Schofield came from there. And this uh, Bible, uh, Believer's Bible Commentary, it came from there. Everything I got up here came from Scripture Truth. They were happy to see me. So, I was looking through, just going around, really wasn't there to get anything in particular, other than eggs. He's, they, they sell eggs, but I didn't drive all the way to Fincastle just to get eggs. So, I picked up some, I got, got a couple dozen eggs, and I was just walking through, just slowly walking through, looking at different books, and there's some people that I've heard their names, maybe even quoted them before, and I see that there's some books that they've written, and I, and I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And I, I, I was being disciplined, and I, no, no, I'm not going to get it. And I got down to the uh, R's, and I ran across Alan Redpath. Have you ever heard of Alan Redpath? You heard of him? He, he was born in England. He ministered over there was invited to come to the United States for some different things, special events, and ended up being noticed by Moody. And he, was, he, he went to Moody Bible College and preached there for a short period of time. And then he ended up going back to, I think he finished up in Scotland. A really good uh, man of God. So I know that John Phillips quotes him quite a bit in my John Phillips commentaries. So I was looking at some of couple he had four different books there. He he died in 89. So another great one that has gone on to be with the Lord. And I looked at the back and it said the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. School, that goes along with what I'm trying to do here. So we have to make sure we understand that salvation, nothing we can do to earn it. We, don't, we, have, we, we can't do anything good enough to deserve it. We can't pay for it. We have to accept it as a free gift and all that. And when you are truly born again, not just making a profession with your mind or your head, but you have a heart change. Something happens in your heart and you really truly believe it happens like that. Now, I've said many times, it's not just convincing somebody out of guilt or just pulling on their heartstrings and having an emotional reaction and just trying to get somebody to come up front and to kneel at the altar and lead them in a sinner's prayer. That does not work for salvation. It just doesn't work. It puts on a show, and people will, may get a false sense that they're saved. Then again, they could get saved. 
I'm not saying you're not going to. I'm just saying that what I have seen in my lifetime and what other really good evangelicals who go out and minister to people, what they've seen in their lifetimes as they got older is if you can convince somebody just to come up and to go through some type of a ritual, almost all of them will fall away at some point. So knowing that salvation is free and when you are truly, truly born again, it happens in a moment. But then there's, there's people who hear the word, the parable of the sower. Does that, does that trouble you? when you hear that some seed fell on the wayside uh, on, on like hard ground, some bird snatched it up right away, and then there's seed that looks like it took root really good and it's growing like crazy, and then the sun comes out and dries it up, and it, it dies. Then there's the ones that you know grow up, but then all of the weeds and the thistles grow up with it, end up choking it out. But then you've got the, the one example of it falling on good ground and it comes up and produces fruit some 30 some 60 some 100 and it 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 sounds like you could say oh well all those all those people got saved and then they lost it and then they lost it and they lost it but then they a few that, that hang hung on to it if you ever truly are saved you can't lose it it's eternal life you cannot lose it but the key is, did you ever really have it to start with? So what does it mean? See, it's, it's seed, it's God's word is, is what's being thrown out. And in some people, it will get in people and they could be, maybe it was an emotional thing. And you, you, you preached a real touching message and, and, and they're all into it and they want something out of it. And they're like, I, I want to join, I want to join. And they're all on fire and they come to church three or four times and then they're gone. And somebody might say, oh, they got saved and then they lost it. No, it was the seed was working on them and it was very shallow. And it dried up when the sun came out. When, the t- when a tough thing happened... Uh, a temptation came back in their life and then they just turned and ran away. Then you got those people who they get the word in their heart and, and they're thinking on it, but then the cares of this world. There's just too many things they like in the world and they won't let go of it. So that's, that's the seed that fell in amongst the thorns and the thistles, all that stuff. So I, I think that there are plenty of situations where a person hears the word, the gospel is given to them, and it may take who knows how long. You just can't put a, put a number on it as far as it could be a few days, it could be a month, it could be years, and they finally get it. So, that's, so you can't get too worked up over certain parables because chances are we're just not understanding them perfectly correct. But they are good. They're, they're right on. We don't need to change any of them because they are. And, and again... Uh, getting back to the difference between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, there are certain parables that will be very, very similar, like in Matthew and in maybe Luke, but if you really look at them very closely, there'll be a few words that are different, and they, they have a different meaning as far as, is it, is it talking about the kingdom of heaven 
that the Jews thought Jesus was going to set up. That's going to happen one day. Or is it talking about the kingdom of God, which is that mystery that was hid from the ages that all of a sudden took over when the kingdom of heaven was taken by force? I tell people that I'll, I'll use football, college football and NFL football. There's, they're different, but there's so much that they're alike. Okay, They have the same number of players, they have, to, they have the same width field and the same length field, but there's some, there's some differences in the game where one foot inbounds for a completed catch on the sideline compared to two have to be in for the NFL. There are players in college who can only play four or five years, and that's it. They have a certain amount of eligibility and they're not supposed, at least in the past, they weren't supposed to be paid. Now they can get a little money. But NFL can have obscene amounts of money. So to the untrained eye, they could look exactly the same. You wouldn't be able to tell one from the other. But there is a difference between the two. So in the Bible, if you don't understand the difference between the two, and there's many, many people who do not understand the difference, and that's why they are, they've split. They've, there's a different denomination over here and a one over there. A whole lot of church splits and denominations is because of just that one thing that they don't understand the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of that one issue. And it is hidden. If you don't know any better and you're just reading it, if you got a little bit of, of church going past, that's the ones who are the most unlikely to get it. You can take somebody who's never been in church and have them read, and they'll go, okay, they're spelled differently. Yeah, this is kingdom of heaven. That says kingdom of God. What's the difference? I've explained it to guys at the jail. They're like, all right, what's up with this? They're just, and then somebody might say, who's been in church a while, they'll go, well, that's just Matthew. He liked that. He liked to say it like that. And then Luke and Mark and John, they like to say it the other way. And then I turn to the person trying to explain it, and I say, well, why is it that in, in Matthew, he says kingdom of God five times? Oh, he does? Like, yeah. Or you might get some modern version that kind of mixes them up. And you, and you lose the difference because of that. So the manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. And this book is called The Making of a Man of God. And I believe it was written in 62, 1962. So Alan Redpath wrote that book and it's very interesting that all, all, all that's in here is, is stories about David. It's just it's stories about David's life. And it's, all right, so we need to read out of James. <laughs> Don't you think that's a good idea? Let's read some, some of James. James, a servant of God, I'm starting with verse 1. He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is saying something because in his earlier days, he did not accept the teachings of Jesus. He did not accept his brother. I mean, this is the kid he, he grew up with. 
He's like, that, no, that's my brother. That can't, that can't be the Messiah. No way. And he probably didn't like him. He probably didn't like Jesus because Jesus never got in trouble. Think about it. He never did anything. The only thing that could even come close was when he was, he was uh, they went to Jerusalem and he stayed behind. And his mom and dad, they all got in the caravan and took off. They didn't get in their minivan to go home. They got in a caravan to go home. And I think it was, was it three days? Three days, maybe? Okay, they found him. Three. Significant number, isn't it? And uh, so for James to say this now, oh yeah, that's, that's saying something. To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, again, this is Jewish people who are now born again in the new new thing that's called uh, Christianity, followers of Christ. This was new. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations or all sorts of different types of temptations. And that word, you could, you could say, it, it, it could mean trials, and it could be trials that the Lord allows to happen in your life to test you, to see what you're made of, to help you grow in your Christian walk. He does those things. If you don't believe it, when you get to heaven, you can ask Job all about it. Then there are temptations, even if he didn't do anything to you, that you would bring on yourself. And how do you handle them? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, what is this thing called patience? Do we have any of it? And if we want it, and we prayed for it, we would pray, God, give me patience, and I want it right now. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, now, the word perfect in the King James Bible is usually complete. You, you're finished. There's no more that needs to be done. You, you set out with a project and you get to the finished part of it, and you're, it's perfect then. Now, we use perfect a little differently. Uh, that, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing or needing nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, it says right here that we are to ask for it. We are to pray for wisdom. And when you do, you can, all of you can stop right now and bow your heads and you can pray that God would give you wisdom. And when you open up your eyes... And you're just kind of like, okay, I don't feel like I have any more knowledge. I don't feel like I have any better understanding. God, I just prayed for wisdom, and you said right here you'd give it to me. A lot of times, the wisdom has been sent, and you won't notice it until you come up to a situation. Remember, remember Solomon. Solomon, he, he was picked to, 
be king after his father, and God was talking to him about it and said, what do you want? And he said, you know, I'm so young, and your people are so great, so many of them, and I just don't feel like I have the ability to rule your people, God, and I just ask that you would give me the ability to do so, and God gave him all the wisdom, more wisdom than anybody else will get, right? So a situation came up right after that. Two women who lived at the same house, both had little sons, little babies, and the one son died. Well, the two mothers both claimed the one baby that was left, and there was a big fight over it. So they brought them in to Solomon. He's sitting on his throne. They walk up. Each one made their case, and he said, oh, well, this is easy. Bring me a sword. I'll cut it in half. We'll give that half to her and that half to that one. And they brought the sword over, and the one mother was sitting there going, okay. The other mother was like, no, no, she can have it. She can have it. And Solomon went, but that's wisdom. And something will happen in your life where you will have an answer that you never would have had in the past because a week before, a month before, a year before, you prayed for wisdom. And when something like that happens, you are going to be able to do something you weren't able to do before. You'll have understanding and knowledge because you're not going to, as, as you pray for it, you're not going to all of a sudden feel it and feel like you're just real smart now. But it happens. And I've experienced it. And I, 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 I mean, I can tell you stories about situations where I was able to answer a question, something came up, and then after it was all over, going, and I hope I quoted the right scripture because I don't know where that came from. And I go look it up, and that was where it was at. Good. But all kinds of stuff like that has ha have happened to me. David. When he, uh, we're going to read out of uh, uh, 1 Samuel. So if you would like to turn to 1 Samuel, you know you have, we have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and you remember that because the, it's in backwards alphabetical order. That's way you can know where they're at. The Samuels are first, and then the Kings, and then the Chronicles. It's just backwards alphabetically. So that's going to be the very first one in those, all those. So 1 Samuel, we're going to read chapter 16. So just to set this up, King Saul has, has been disobedient. He did not do what the Lord, well, Samuel told him, this is what the Lord wants you to do. He went in, he, just, he didn't do what he's supposed to do. He, he allowed some things to live. I believe it was like a, even a king he let it live, and they brought back just to show it off. And then the animals, they brought back, uh, you were supposed to wipe everything out. Well, God is telling Samuel, he's done. Now, when God says he's done, it might be years later before he's actually gone. But when God says you're done, you're done. It may not be just like that. And he has told Samuel, I've got somebody new 
and I need you to go to the house of Jesse, and he lives in Bethlehem. Uh, I need you to go there and take some oil with you. So let's start reading. And the Lord said to Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Bethlehem, I can't say that very well. For I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. I could say a lot about that, but I'm going to keep going. And, and call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what, shall, what, what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he, and he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab. See, I'm supposed to be reading, you know what? Well, i got to turn to something different. But this Bible here, it breaks the names down for me. So I had that one with me just for this purpose, but I opened it up to Psalms. So we might be going to Psalms as well. <clears throat> All right, so I'm gonna, I think that's going to be the only one I had trouble with. Eliab, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounded really good. So he looked on him and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But, so this, is, this must be the oldest son of Jesse. And he's looking at this son going, wow, he looks awesome. He would make a great king. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart." So you can't, you can't fool God. You might fool everybody around you, but you're not fooling God. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shema to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Now, instead of going through all seven sons that are there, he kind of, you know, gets it all together here to, to save some time for us. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. So I'm, th- I'm thinking that's a total of seven have passed before. Now seven, that should have been the lucky number. That should be, oh, seven... But no, none of these. Well, that's all the sons that were there. There, This is a sacrifice that they're going to have for the Lord 
And Jesse has got all of his sons rounded up, except for one. Well, he didn't think much of the other son, the eighth son. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. <laughs> and Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Notice that God had already picked, right? So we got people who believe in election, predestination, those types of things. Again, a different denomination because you can get so into that that you miss the free will that he gives to, to people, God gives to people. You know, we, we have a free will, but God chooses things, and who are we to say different? So you can see some election here. You can see that God had already picked David, knew, but why did he pick him? So we don't have that part of the story. I don't think David was shocked. David was really young, but I don't think he was shocked. As you read on about David in the future, he will reminisce about the past and how he was given the ability to fight off a lion to fight off a bear, to protect his flock. David, I'm sure, I think one of the drawings that, uh, what's his name, the Chalk Talk guy, Dwight, I think he did something that kind of showed where, imagine a shepherd being out in the open and seeing the stars, seeing all of God's creation, all alone, the responsibility of watching over all of these sheep, that they had a real connection with God, knowing that Jesus was going to be the shepherd. And, you know, seeing those stars, you know, not long ago I was talking about, you know, in a sermon about how I think the stars at the very beginning of the Bible represent individual Christians, people who are to uh, be lights, little lights. The church, the moon, uh, because it's a reflection of the sun, the greater light, the lesser light would be the church. And then we went over to, I think it was Philippians, and talked about how we are described as lights. And then I was reading the other book that I got. It was also by Alan, Alan Redpath. I opened it up. It's a devotional thing, and I looked at the very first one, and it was talking about the star that led the wise men to Jesus. That could have been a third part to the sermon, how we, as little stars, are supposed to lead people to Jesus. Wow, that was awesome. That was worth the 
$12 I think I spent on that book. That was awesome. One of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it together, and I'm going to preach a real good sermon. It might take a while, but I'm going to do it. So, David, I'm sure, as he's out in those fields and he's watching over that he's communicating, God has seen something in him that he wants to choose. On a human level, even in his very own family, his father and his brothers didn't think enough of him to invite him to Samuel's coming. Samuel's coming, he's bringing a heifer, and we're going to have a sacrifice to the Lord. And they all gathered up and went, well, David's out, yeah, he can stay there. Didn't even mention him. Didn't even mention him to Samuel. And he, and, and he goes through all the brothers, and then he, he goes, he looks at Jesse and says, is this all your kids? Because I'm confused because God said, I'm going to anoint somebody out of your sons, and now he's told me none of them are good enough. And, and, and Jesse's like, well, yeah, the youngest one, he's, out, he's, he's just, we'll go get him. So we're not doing anything else until he's here. Okay, so they got him there, and as soon as he walks in, God shows him, yep, that's him. And he was a kid. Nobody would have picked him, but God did. You know, we, we can feel like we are insignificant and no one cares about us. Nobody wants anything to do with us. No one would pick us. I can remember being in, in high school, and we had, it, it, I think it was, uh, it was gym class. I know it was gym class, and we were, we were playing basketball. I've shared this before a long time ago. And there was Kevin and Chris. They were both varsity basketball players. And our coach, awesome coach, Coach Wood, he, when he, because he would usually always pick those two to pick teams because they were the best players. Well, he messed up one day, and he said, uh, Kevin, you and Sean, uh, y'all pick teams. And then he went, you know, oh, I messed up. But so he said, and Sean gets to pick first because he figured I'd pick Chris. Well, so my, I, I get the very first pick, all the guys in there. And I look in the back, and uh, Jason's standing back there, just with his head down behind everybody. Can't even see him, and I'm looking for him, and I went, I want Jason. And Kevin has already, he's, he's looking at the second best guy, and he's getting ready to pick him, because he knows I'm gonna pick Chris. So I said, Jason, and Kevin's like, uh, I'll take Chris. And then, then I looked around, and, and the guy, because so, Jason was always last to get picked, always last. But he got picked first that day. And then I picked Keith. He was the second to last, always get picked. So I picked him. And then Kevin picked the next best guy. So I had on my team the guys that never got picked, and he had all the good ones and we started playing basketball. When, when all those guys walked over to me, they said, uh, we're gonna get killed. And I said, oh no, oh no. We're we gonna do good against these boys. We're gonna do, do good. And they played like I had never seen them play. They were, they were on fire and they were aggressive and jerking the ball out of the hands of the other guys. And, and it went all the way down to the very end and we were down by one. And this would make such a great story if I hit the last shot. But it was full court. <laughs> and the time ran out, and I was like this, and, the co and Coach Wood, he said, go ahead. 
And I went, all right, and I threw it, and it hit the backboard and, and bounced off the front of the rim. It was that close to going in from all the way. It wasn't full court, full court, because we were going sideways. We had the side goals. It wasn't, you know, a full length, but it was long. But that would have made that story today so much better if, we would have, if I would have hit that. But, you know, Jason, he did not think a lot of himself. He was uh, affected by always being picked last. And that day he was picked first, and he played. And then he graduated, went into the Marine Corps, and did awesome for himself. And now he's, uh, he's doing well. I, I do some work for his dad now. So God sees the people that we would never pick, there's people who may think that they're not good enough for anything, but God can see something different in them. And God will pick you. And he's done it in the past. He, he's already made a way where he can pick you from before you were ever even thought of. He's already picked you. Now there's that part of what God does. He does his part. Just like I, I pray sometimes thanking the Lord for getting the Bible into our hands, preserving His Word and getting it where we can, we can hold on to it. And then I pray that I hope that we will put it in our hearts because He's not going to force it on us. He's made it available. It's there. But we have to read it. We have to meditate on it. We have to study it. We have to believe it. That's up to us. So... We have to realize what is the balance of what he does for us and what our, our responsibility is. We have, we, have to, we have to understand that. So we got through verse 5 and uh, over in James, and then at the end of this story of, of King David, he's not King David yet, but he's been anointed king. He's been anointed with the oil from the man of God. Now, you were already picked, and when you believe, evidently, David, you can look at the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a profession with his mouth that he's accepting God as his shepherd. When we do that, we are believers. And when that happens, you get the Holy Spirit in you. But this horn of oil, he's already picked beforehand. He believes in the God of Israel. Now he's actually had the oil anointed on him, which means that the Holy Spirit, it says it right there, that the Holy Spirit was on him from that day forward. Now, when we believe, we get the Holy Spirit in us, right? We are the temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Our bodies are a temple. But there's this anointing that happens from time to time, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And that's something we have to ask for. That's something that when we do our part by believing the Word... Because the, whole, the, whole, the Holy Spirit's in us when we're saved, but then there's that extra anointing of the Holy Spirit that doesn't happen very often, but it should. 
Maybe that's why certain churches grow really fast, others don't. Maybe we're not understanding the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Maybe we're not getting that. Maybe this story right here about David, uh, we need to understand that we've been picked beforehand. We do believe, but we need Samuel to come around with that horn of oil and anoint us. We need the Holy Spirit to fall on us so we can do special things for the Lord. And to be to where we are uh, drawing people in to that. So another, so I'm going to turn to, uh, if you would like to turn to Psalm 139. This is a Psalm of David. Listen to this. This is Psalm 139. We need to understand that we have to ask God to search our hearts, to try to find anything that's unclean in us and get it out. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from me, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, or not complete. Remember I said earlier, complete, uh, perfect means finished. Well, when you're a baby in your mother's womb, you're not quite complete yet, but you're getting there. Being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked. O God, depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. 
for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not and am not I greed with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And Father, we thank you for the example that you have given us in, in David. And Father, David was just a boy. He was neglected by his own family. But Father, you saw him. You had relationship with him. You wanted him to be the king of Israel. You picked him. You anointed him. And Father, he wrote some beautiful psalms that we read and Father, I pray that we would take this psalm to heart. Father, that we would, we would see the evil that's going on in our world today. And Father, that we would stand up for those who are in their mother's wombs being made perfect. Father, the, your word says that you knew us when we were in our mother's wombs. Father, we pray for those who try to take you out of everything, that show their hate for you. And Father, we pray that they would be touched somehow, some way. But Father, you would deal with them the way you know how and give us the ability to live a life that would be better, that we wouldn't act the way others act who do not Look to you, Lord, that we would be different and that we would stand out and we would be your light. That, Father, our little, our little stars would shine brighter as this world gets darker. And, Father, I pray that you would search our hearts to find anything that is evil and wicked and that we would be aware of it and we would want it gone. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.